Jay right in your face. Welcome back to the Fadeaway Podcast. I'm your host, Fatty, and alongside me today, Mrs. A.D. Krause. How you doing, pal? Man, <laughs> how you going to do that to me, bro? <laughs> bro, he Come had the on, nicest bro. eye in the game, bro. He had the nicest eye yeah. in the game. No disrespect, bro. Yo, I know when you say that, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a double entendre, so I don't know why. And he's got all the moves, bro. Come on, man. Oh, my God. I mean, we that's, we, happened, we we opened the episode with Jerry Krause yeah. for episode seven. We love him. Uh, which is what we're going to get into today. And uh, one of the reporters made, I guess, a remark saying that, are you surprised that the team is playing this well, even though you're a backstabber or you're backstabbing going on? And he just snaps, bro. <laughs> No Just be clear, there's no uh, backstabbing going on here, huh? <laughs> All right. You hear me? You hear me you when know, I say that? Tell me that guy didn't sound so Canadian. Or no, there, was, there was another part where... Yeah, where he's talking about when Reinsdorf told him that um, MJ wants MJ's to walk away. Quitting. Yeah, oh, yeah, we'll get into that. But that guy sounded so Canadian. He's quitting, Jer. Oh, no. He's quitting, Jer. <laughs> Welcome back to episode number 28. Episode number 28, Jan Mahimi wears number 28. Uh, Alfonso McKinney. No, Jan he didn't. Mahimi, I see that. Capone. He did for the, Laker, for the Lakers oh. in 2012. Uh, they just searched up 28. Andre Iguodala on the Heat, I think. I don't know if that's an edited picture, but it looks like he, yeah. yeah. 28? Oh, yeah, yeah, so a couple Kobe, of them. Kobe, Kobe couple, Gigi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a couple guys wore the number 28, oddly enough. No one really good, though. Mikel Petrus? Peace. No. Bro. Oh wow! I forgot yeah, about nobody. Beatrice. Nobody really. Lots to uh, lots to unpack in this episode, and wow, was it an emotional one or what? Yeah, that one was uh, was a roller coaster. A lot of, you know, we saw MJ getting emotional, um, which we don't. I mean, I mean, we only see that when he wins. We don't really see that at any other point. Um, and just a lot of, I guess, ninety nine three just a, it was a, it was a dark year for MJ, and uh, it, right. it started that way. In the last episode, the first half was pretty decent, continued. I guess. Actually, like only June was decent. Yeah, other than that, like it just it just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And obviously, he wins, which is you know a nice way to, I guess, not like redeem the year, but maybe come back from all the negative things. But then everything kept spiraling in. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll start with one of the biggest things in the episode. Maybe was. The relationship MJ had with his dad, right? Yeah, Mr. James uh, Jordan. Yeah, so they, you know, you know, Ahmad Rashad, which is was which was a reporter back then, but he he's pretty much like has exclusive rights to MJ. Like, they're it's far more than a reporter player relationship. They have like they actually have a real relationship. Um, any well, thoughts about his so much so that he was tying his tie at his dad's Ex- memorial. Exactly. Exactly. And he talks about his father and how close they were and how close James and, 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 and Michael was. And it's actually interesting to see that because if you remember the, maybe in the, in the third episode, MJ is fighting for his dad's approval. Right? Yeah, against um, his brother. Against his brother in a way. And it, so it's, it's very interesting to see how that relationship evolved as he essentially got the approval, I guess. Um, and how and how much, you know, James really steered Michael's career. Yeah. No, and it's uh, it's wild, too, because, like, his dad, 
it, more so I've never seen it in, in modern day, even with guys who have like vocal dads, especially a guy like LeVar Ball, but I've never seen somebody's father so involved with the team and in the change room, talking to the media, giving statements. It was like he was a part of the team, but not just that, but everyone embraced him as a part of the team. Even the, the coaching staff, the management, the players, everyone was just so welcoming to having him around and he his opinion mattered like when he spoke he said something people listened and that's something that we don't really see now and there's a lot of guys in the nba who have you know dads who played in the league dads who Mm -hmm. coached in the league you know dads who are vocal and are in the media but you don't see that level anymore with guys in the change room and and just the camaraderie and the family aspect of that team uh and just to see you know the impact that his father had is is definitely a it's a great thing too, and especially because a lot of a lot of NBA players talk too about growing up without a father and having a father figure and you know having to provide or being provided for by just a mother, right? And and yeah. you know a lot of them, you know, LeBron always says my mom was mom and dad, yeah. and uh, there was the thing in LeBron's high school grad of his friends walking him down, you know, so just to right. see you know like a guy who got the chance to grow up with both parents and stable. Uh, I don't think he was poor. I think he was more like middle class. Uh, yeah, his mom had a good job. Class. You know, his dad had a job, so he was more middle class. So definitely a different upbringing. But just to see their relationship turn from, you know, wanting to be, you know, his favorite almost into becoming yeah. hands down his favorite. I mean, obviously, you know, all all his kids are are obviously loved and and whatnot. But I mean, there's definitely an extra love for Michael Jordan. Like we always talk about this now. Like we want our kids to you know, play in the NBA or play like a high level sport mm-hmm. and, and just imagine actually having a child who's playing in the NBA but hoisting the trophy and like something that you've dreamed about your whole life. Like just there's the just a special too. sentiment, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a special it's sentiment. It's an immense it's immense sense of pride, I guess you could say, yeah. you know, and 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 the good thing about like like James was that, you know, like he was such a good guy and he made sure that, you know, you know, I, I mean, we see a lot of negative things about MJ in this episode, but he made sure that Michael always did something good. Like, right. for example, you know, he would take, like they said, he would take kids from the stands that had no chance of meeting Michael and go meet Michael, right? And, like, make a kid's day. Or, you know, the, in every decision that would be made, it would be made them all together. It would be good decisions. And, then you know, Michael was, other than the gambling thing, other than that, that's the only thing really he had that was maybe a stain on him in the media. Other than that, you know, you know, terrible deeds he's done. Every uh, you know, or he's set up foundations. He's sponsored right. defense, so he's done great things, and you can see that that it stemmed from his father. Right, and uh, so you you were talking about that summer '93. He had just won the championship, yeah. the three peat, uh, and obviously later that summer, uh, a very tragic event happened. So I do have a, an article that I just want to read a part of here. Uh, so it goes: He was headed three and a half hours toward his home in Charlotte. His father. Uh, scheduled to fly to Chicago the following day. He never made it. On the same evening, Daniel Green and Larry Demery, those are the two guys who got uh, charged with the murder, Mm -hmm. gathered at a cookout in Lumberton, North Carolina, two teenage friends hanging out. Within hours, though, their lives converged with the father of the world's most renowned basketball player. Jordan wound up in a South Carolina swamp, his dead body draped over a tree limb. Green and Demery wound up with life sentences for first-degree murder. So I don't have the full... Um, details, yeah. and I think this this has been a bit of a complex legal battle. I know that they're going back and forth with uh, motions, and I guess they're trying to get out. So I'm not sure. I didn't really get a Still? chance to look completely into it. Uh, this article is pretty recent, and it's talking about yeah. it. So 
folded within that complex legal battle is a straightforward question is the accepted narrative of James Jordan's murder an accurate account of what happened so they're definitely questioning because even when like when we were watching it too and yeah the thing that came to mind is like okay so he was missing and then his body was found in a creek his car was found on the side of the road how do we deduce that he pulled over to take a nap and that they came in and you know it just seemed so odd to me like and it was in the middle of the freeway too like was there surveillance they didn't talk about surveillance so how did they i the fact that they caught them like that it just i would love to look more into this case like obviously that's like the more inspector side of me Uh, i love to do these things but i would definitely uh, like to take this case on like on a personal side note and just like figure it out because it seems a little bit intricate but uh, all in all, uh, his father did pass away that summer. So in a, in a very very devastating fashion too. Like he yeah. was he was out golfing, which is something that he did normally. And and those are the ones that I think that like the kind of like the way Kobe went right. Like you're going to do something that you do every day, and it and yeah. or like even most recently Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. That case, like he's out on yeah. a jog. It's like like being the family of somebody. and You're just saying goodbye, and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah we'll see you soon. And then you yeah. just never see that person again. So it's it's definitely a devastating thing. And he was missing for three weeks, I think, before his body was found. So just imagine how long that three weeks felt. Like, we were in quarantine, and the first three weeks felt like six. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine, like, you're anticipating, like, the return of your father. At this point, you're, you're probably not optimistic at all that he's alive. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, to find, to find his body in a creek and then everything like that and – just with especially a couple of months before that his gambling thing which ended up coming up again like oh was this you know murder related to his gambling problem was it a gambling Crazy. debt that was paid and it, it's just it's really twisted and so even if like if sam smith has feelings towards this yeah exactly if sam the smith media, is sitting there saying this is cheap shot like cheap shots like come on bro and that's the crappy part thing like the crappy thing about it is that everything that MJ was accused of that was negative in the past somehow always circulated back towards him and it was like, that one thing so oh, gambling 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 yeah. you know there was all the speculation about that's all that that's all that you could point to that's all you could point to right and it was all the speculation about the gambling debt or whatever or any you know possible outstanding debt or whatever it may be could be linked to his father's death and there's no like they're just throwing and like MJ says they're just throwing darts at him like there's no evidence there's no like not even like something for you to lead you to believe you know what i mean like there's no concrete or nothing even remotely possible that would point you in, in the direction of mj so just kind of the media being the media which is really unfortunate when you think about it because like how are you gonna like like i understand maybe criticizing somebody about you know playing basketball like if they're playing bad and they're actually playing bad and you say something okay like that's what the media does right like this is yeah. about a dude's a dude's dad just died man like you know, like, just shut the hell up for a second, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It sucks that the media has that kind of opinion all the time, right? But, um, but the, the you know, the tragic loss kind of leads MJ to a different route. Yeah. And we mentioned it, or I mentioned it in the last episode when we spoke. MJ didn't seem so happy to win that third championship. You know what I mean? He seemed more relieved. You know, a burden was taken off. He was exhausted. And, you know, and then, it, and then we find out that he has been debating playing baseball. Him and his father have been debating MJ quitting and going to play baseball. And this has been a year before the debates were started, right? Apparently that reporter, you know, claims that MJ came to him and told him, you know, once I'm done with the Olympics, once I win a three-peat, 
and kind of do something that Magic and Larry never did. He's like, I'm done. I'm going to go That's play That's such baseball. a humble flex. That is a huge humble flex. I was like, yo, he told you out of all people? Oh, no, I meant that too, but I'm saying humble flex on Jordan's behalf. Like, yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna quit and play oh, baseball, yeah. <laughs> but first I'm just going to win a third straight championship because nobody's ever done it, then I'm going to leave. And then you go and do it. It's like, He's man. the GOAT. He's just the GOAT. He's like, oh, and I have to play the Olympics too is what the guy – he's like, yeah, and I have to play the Olympics as if like, you know, oh, gosh yeah, darn it. Got to play, play for the, the 1992 <laughs> Dream Team. Damn. <laughs> got to be a star on this team, man. They're going to know yeah, about me. It's just a, a little bit of a humble flex on his behalf. And he ended up uh, pursuing a sport that his father loved. His father then, had a passion for. It was it was something that he, that he loved too, right? That's how they – bonded as well you know you know mj's first love was baseball mj's dad wanted him to play baseball um i guess he's never i guess he just loved he fell in love with basketball more or whatever it may be but you know so that debate essentially gets settled when he decides to retire later on 1993 and guess what happens when he retires what does he do first of all so first of all a reporter said we we both laugh at this. Our porter was like, "Oh, Phil Jackson at the table, Jerry Reinsdorf, Jerry Cross at the table, David Stern, MJ." It looks like the Last Supper. Yeah, bro. When they yeah. said that, <laughs> he cried, bro. No, because they panned out and it was him in the middle with like six people on each yeah. side. So it literally was. It looked like that, bro. Literally, Black Jesus, bro. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But what I was gonna get the into most that, media you know, people too ever were at that bro, retirement. It was. It's just like LeBron's decision in 2012. It was the same exact idea, and you know, media has gotten better now, and it was better in 2012. This was like back in the, the 90s. People from all over the world, like you just see the big, the big old cameras. You see reporters, right. right? So it was very well covered, and it was. And I think one of the one of the reporters says in the documentary that like it was a moment where like where were you when this happened? It was one of those kinds of moments, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, MJ decides to retire, and then obviously the media had to also speculate: Is MJ retiring because of gambling? Is David Stern suspending MJ for the gambling and the gambling investigation? Which kind of That's also ridiculous sucks again, right? Like it's so dumb that they keep on doing this. They're, they're just holding on to this one thing. Yeah. Yeah, and David Stern coming in like uh, the it's full so floor, the tail. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. Why would he so ever do something like that, man? It. Like people, people, people who actually believe this, like there's no for them, there's no differentiation between like fantasy sport and like actual business sport. Like from a Just business perspective, why the heck would yeah. you do something like that? You know how much money the NBA made during that time? Like he expanded the game so much. You think they're gonna suspend this dude? He made the like, NBA so much money at the time that Jerry Reinsdorf continued to pay his NBA salary yeah, as a thank man. you because he's been underpaid his whole career. By exactly. him. Yeah. Which is incredible. Uh but then after that retirement ceremony, what did right. uh what did he go and uh what did he go and do? He picks up a bat and he says, I'm gonna go pro. I won't play pro baseball. He hadn't played in fourteen years. Uh but he did play as a time, kid. Yeah. yeah, and he played as a kid, he was good. And he's just a, a super athlete. Like he's you know, got a good build, he's athletic, he's got a great work ethic, better than anybody than anyone's ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so he picks up the sport and uh, Again, a, a bit of a roller coaster throughout his career, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, he starts off with the 13-game hit streak, 
which you know nobody ever. I mean, me as a as a person, I knew MJ played in baseball, but the but the big stigma about him going to play baseball was that he sucked, <laughs> right? That's no, that's what we know. That's what we were almost taught in a way. It was that MJ, you know, he, he took two years off, he played baseball, and he wasn't good at it. But I guess what they're doing is just comparing, you know, MJ the basketball player and how good he was at basketball compared to how he was as a baseball player. Obviously, they were nowhere near, but the way people explained him in the in the doc, I don't know if they're just being nice, but he was he was pretty solid. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree. And and the thing about his journey was it was very up and down. Like he did have yeah. that thirteen game one uh, hit streak, hit streak. Yeah. Uh, but then they were saying he didn't see any fastballs, and then they hit him with breaking balls, and that's when he right. started struggling, and he yeah. went on a bit of a slump. And then that's when the media started destroying him. Uh, right. So they were coming in saying it's a fluke. It was you know not. Uh, he's not good. He's he's not going to make it. Uh, you know, it's a lot harder than you think. You know, just because mm-hmm. you're good at basketball doesn't mean you can do this. You know, yeah. everyone had their, their their two cents that they were contributing to this, uh, and then that's when he just sort of again. What happened when the Pistons kept beating him up? He just hit the gym and said, "I'm going to freaking get better," and you mm-hmm. can't do anything to stop me. And what did he do? He got better. He was hitting. First thing in the morning, during the day, before games, after games, like yeah. And the coaches, these are baseball coaches. Like they're talking about this guy. These are professional baseball coaches, so you can understand the talent and caliber of players that they've been around and they they are around uh, right. consistently. So for them to to really pit, pinpoint this and say this guy's work ethic is nothing like I've ever seen before. You know, he's he's hitting and hitting and hitting and and practicing and and getting fit and everything and the one the one thing that i loved is obviously now like we see we know what happens after he comes back but the one guy that goes uh if you're gonna play outfield it's a completely different set of skills like y- your training is gonna be different your your weight is gonna be have to be different this is gonna hinder your basketball ability and he goes yeah, yeah, yeah don't worry i'm all in i'm all in yeah and that's and then that's what does he do he comes back over. and he three peats again so what did he what ability did he hinder <laughs> And that, that's coming from Tim Grover. Tim Grover is legit like a renowned professional athlete coach, um, trainer, sorry. He trained MJ. I'm pretty sure he trained Kobe. Like he is, he knows what he's talking about, right? And for MJ to hear that from him and just be like, yo, I'm all in. I don't care, right? That's, you could tell it's something that he really, really, really wanted to do, right? And and then, you know, he ends up, you know, he ends up hitting 202, which is a pretty decent, that's really average. good, man. It's really good considering um, he's never played that high of a level. Right. Drives in 50 runs, and he's playing double-A. Double-A wasn't, like, by any means a scrub level. Like, they were supposed to be putting him in, like, a lower level. Yeah. But they just didn't do it because of the media. Yeah. Right? So he's, they couldn't, he's they couldn't playing support in the league. media. He's literally playing in a league. He's literally out of his league. Like, he shouldn't be playing this league. And he actually put up some solid numbers. So Oh, and he was selling know. out double-A games. Well, of course, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I mean, like my biggest takeaway from this is that MJ wasn't that bad. Number one, and number two is that I think, like for me personally, watching and you know seeing how they related baseball to his dad, and I think going to baseball was kind of how he, you know, still held on to his dad. Yeah. Right. You know, is that not being there? You know, I I don't think he, I think he had trouble kind of picturing him playing basketball and his dad not being there because his dad was at every game. His dad is at every press conference. His dad is at when he wins, he's there. When he loses, he's there, right? And I think he loved that. He says he loved the idea that his dad watched his last game. Yeah. Right. So, 
you know, that year was a really, really, it seemed like a really good escape year for MJ. And he said, like, like when, when he talked about how his, his baseball teammates treated him, he's like, I was just treated like one of the guys. You know, he seemed like he was tired of being, you know, he had to always be the tough guy. He had to always be the leader. I think it just took such a mental and emotional toll, toll on him. No, 100%. And I think another another thing that we don't even consider is Terry Falcona, who's the current uh, manager of the Cleveland Indians, who have won yeah. a championship in the last yeah. few years. Did they win the championship? I'm pretty sure they did, but if not, then they were in the World no, Series. Yeah, they, the, they were in the World Series. But definitely lost. a very yeah, a very respectable yeah. team, very talented team. And he was the manager at the time, and he's saying, right. dude, you give this guy 1,500 at-bats, he's going pro. And this is a guy who's been around high-level athletes and high-level talent. And for him to say 1,500 at-bats, he's going pro, like that is just – it came down to a matter of sample size. Like he just didn't have enough time to flourish yeah. fully as a baseball player. And not only so, that, he says like he's like a lot of – we had a lot of prospects that didn't hit 202 and drive home 50 runs. So there's like – MJ did some stuff that, you know, a prospect wouldn't do, let alone a guy like just transitioning and switching sports off the fly that he hasn't been in 14 years, right? So definitely yeah. like – a great outing in his baseball career. No, absolutely. For sure. Shout out to Michael uh, playing playing both sports. But during that time, it's yes. interesting to see uh, what the Bulls were doing without Michael because everyone thought Michael, one-man team. Right. Uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast with Jack McCollum. So Jack McCollum wrote a book called The Dream Team in 2012. And he, he sat down and interviewed everyone on that Dream Team. So everyone from Jordan to... Barkley to Stockton to everyone mm. and he has uh, actual tape of Jordan saying I don't want to play with Isaiah even though Jordan denied that on the documentary Sheesh. yeah and he's actually so he's releasing a podcast it's pretty oh, much damn. the tapes of that book uh, so he's going to be releasing a lot of the the sound bites I think it's coming out right after the documentary uh, like one or two days after so uh, he was interviewing and he was talking about um you know, Scottie Pippen is often viewed as like the the best tenth man no ever. Like everyone can, like everyone talks about him. Like he was some tenth man. We forget about how really good Scottie was, and yeah. like Scottie was a very viable second option and at his peak, a top ten player in the league. And he's a top fifty player all time. So that's not a guy that you know. Everyone they they talk about Jordan. And it's it's almost like they consider Scottie to be like a rotational guy. Like yeah. I, it, when that's really not the case, he was a, he was a superstar in his own right. And what do we see happen in in the year that uh, that Jordan was playing baseball, sir? Oh, his numbers went up, man. And, and you know, I, I've got his stats right here. Ninety three, ninety four, he was putting up twenty two points, eight point seven rebounds a game, and and five point six a game, uh, five point six assists. Yeah. So his numbers rose. That's a pretty dramatic increase, you know. Obviously, and, you know, and what we see being said in the documentary is that, you know, you could see that Scotty literally created the point forward. And it was at this time where everyone saw it the most because, you know, Scotty was like, you know, he didn't, he came in to be the guy and the lead guy, but he didn't want to do it the way MJ did it. He didn't feel like he, that was his style. He did it, it was like, we did it by committee. And they said that, you know, they ran that triangle offense to perfection that year, right? And even though yeah. everybody doubted that they couldn't do without Michael, it actually ended up, it looked like it actually ended up working better without Michael 
just because Michael wasn't there to be so dominant on the ball. So that offense, the way it was run, it was run so smoothly, it was so, so like, fluidly, right? So yeah, yeah. that's, I think, from like, I mean, as far as I've seen, that's pretty much the beginning of a point forward. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, you absolutely. Have, you, have, you have you have Magic, who was the size of a forward, but was a point guard. This guy's actually a forward, and he's running, he's initiating. He's organizing. He's doing everything and running the offense and being leader of that team. Yeah, yeah, and it so goes hand really in hand too. Like Scotty flourish. Scotty was definitely the beginning of the point forward, but you can also argue that Phil Jackson started yeah. by having you know putting him in because he always talks about you know the triangle what it did for me in my career. Like mm-hmm. it opened the floor for me. It allowed me to do what I want to do and what I can do at a high level. Uh, so giving him the floor to do that was just you know it's it's nuts to see like the coaching style of Phil and actually they talk about this season when Jordan was out, this was when Phil did some of his best coaching. Right. And uh, they perfectly ran that triangle with, uh, with all the guys that they had. So they actually finished 55 and 27. They were third in the East, two games behind first. So that is, that is a great accomplishment when you just lost Michael Jordan. I don't care what you want to say. Like you look at teams when, you know, the Cavs lost LeBron, they, they go to the straight to the lottery every single time. The Lakers yeah. lose Kobe. They six, seven straight years of garbage until LeBron comes. So this is completely normal for, for teams when they lose a player like that, but not with the not with the Bulls, man. Like they lost Jordan and they went fifty five and twenty seven. That team had uh, heart. They had hard work. They had obviously championship caliber and experience uh, yeah. because a lot of the guys were guys from the championship team, and they were just poised, man. They were well coached. They were poised. They were running a great system. And they learned how to move the ball. I think they still had everyone from the roster. Like they had BJ, Steve, right. uh, Scotty, Horace. Kukoc uh, was in there. Kukoc was, was I think it was his rookie year. That was his rookie yeah, year. Yeah, his rookie year. And yeah. uh, interesting because we were going to talk about Kukoc shortly uh, because later on that year, there was an interesting playoff series hey, with the Knicks. Oh, man. Let's just, I mean, let's just get into it. I mean, you know, the Bulls, they I think they sweep the Cavs in the first round of that playoff. Uh, in that playoff year, the 94 playoffs. Um, and then they go and head into the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and they go against the Knicks. And at the time, the the Bulls were down 2-0. And this was game three. There was about maybe a few seconds left on the shot clock, just, time for, just enough time for one more shot, and it was Bulls ball. Yeah. And basically in the huddle... Phil remembers a sequence or a play that he has that he runs for Tony Kukoc and he's used it multiple times it looks like in the regular season and Kukoc has hit yeah. a bunch of you know buzzer beaters and he I guess he's clutch you know that's that's what's come out of that that, that play um, so they head into the huddle and Phil decides to go with Kukoc to take the game winning shot and Scotty takes offense to that and sits down and sits out yo that's actually in a playoff a game, they're down. Deal. They're down 0-2. Like this is the game that makes or breaks the series. Like you, you walk right. away with this win, it's two one. You lose this three zero, and you're done. Right, and and you know, I, I'm sure maybe people who you know don't watch basketball or aren't familiar with basketball, they might look at how you know the teammates reacted and how the teammates talked about that moment. In, in the documentary, and they may be saying, "Oh, maybe they're being they're, they look like they're they seem like they're exaggerating a, a bunch," but like, yo, when your star player 
and the guy on your team. Everybody loves this guy. He's your leader and everybody loves him. Quits on you in a playoff game that's our make or break in the season. That's a huge deal. And then I it agree. kind of doubles down. It doubles down on it when you sit out, you know, and then Kukoc ends up hitting the game winning shot and they still win. That was so, and I was watching, I was Bro. like, this is so badass. Like, this is so badass. Such a fat L for him, man. Tony like, Kukoc crazy. is a badass dude, man. For him it's to come in as a rookie, yeah. as a rookie, come out, man, against the Knicks, too, like, big, big roster with Oakley and Ewing. Yeah. And he was out there taking jump. Like, he was a big boy, man. He was, uh, man, Tony Kukoc was, was was a good player. Like, if you look at his just his stats, like, it doesn't blow you away, like, certain guys with their stats but i would love to watch like you know a tony Some documentary tony. like he he's yeah. he's scoring between like 12 to 17 his career high is like 18.8 points a game so he can he's like i imagine he's the steady guy i i think his first like 10 years or something was all double figure scoring actually had one year in 2001 with atlanta where he averaged almost 20 a game oh damn nice. so he he had a lot yeah he's he good, had a man. good good nba career uh, I mean, like the fact that he just stepped in and hit that shot after Scotty was being so salty. I think to me that was my favorite thing. That yeah, was my favorite then, thing, and it's such a bad look. And then you go in the the change room after, and Bill Cartwright, crying, they were saying man. he's like, yeah, he's passionate, that. man. Like he's crying. He's like, that. I can't believe you just did that to us. Like you just quit yeah. on us, man. Like that's what I'm saying, and I, I love that. How you know? I love how the team reacted to it. Like they, you know, you know, if if. I mean, MJ wouldn't do it, obviously, you know that, but if MJ were to do it, I doubt they'll say anything to MJ because they're just scared and fearful, fearful of MJ. Yeah. But when Scotty did it, like, they were actually hurt. And they're like, yo, like, what the hell? Like, how are you going to quit on us like that? Like, to the point where they were started, like, Cartwright was just crying and then made Scotty cry. And obviously, Scotty apologized for that. But what yeah, I didn't but like pissed as well. Me off. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know exactly what you're going to say. Scotty says he wouldn't change it. Like he Actually, down he on that says move. he goes. I wish it never happened, but I would never change it. So what does uh, that mean? So, yeah, bro, what the hell like, does that you, mean, bro? What are you saying? Man? What does that mean, bro? Come on, man. Come on. Do you want? Do you like it or not? Was it? A, did you? Did you regret it or not? It seems like he. It seems like. I think he. I don't think he regrets the action. I think he regret. He just regrets the consequence of it, and how it hurt everybody. But I think you know if it, if that were that. You know, replay it, and he was to go back. I think he would still do the same because I think he still thinks he deserves last shot, which he does. But man, sorry to tell you, Kuko still hits the shot. I I hundred percent agree. That was a it was a bum move, and he knows it. And I, the fact that he doubled down on it later was very very confusing to me. I Couldn't thought you know it. you'd have you had like thirty years to consider. Like, come on, change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he didn't. Change, didn't change his mind. Didn't feel that that was very necessary. Oh um, man! Big but the last, though, like the last, like third or quarter, I guess, of the episode really is a deep dive on his competitive spirit to the point where he's completely treating people like crap. And before we Michael, get into this, I just Michael. yeah, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before we get into that, I just want to, I just want to commend michael jordan because at the end of the day michael jordan is not releasing anything that's not approved by michael jordan uh like, yeah you can't tell me that they released all this footage without his permission or you know no, without his knowledge or whatnot so he definitely had the stamp of approval on this and the fact that he saw this footage and said you know what this is gonna make Release me it. look pretty bad 
you know, it's going to make me look like a bum, and I acknowledge that, but people need to see it and understand this is who I am. And, like, not not that he's saying I don't want to be a role model, but he's saying if you don't like what I do, then you don't have to roll with me. But that's yeah, what I exactly. do, and that's just how I'm going to do it. So mm-hmm. let's start with Scott Burrell. So can we get a bit of a background on Scott Burrell other than he played only uh, one year with the Bulls? But just tell me a bit of, like, so what no, you saw from actually, his treatment. He didn't actually play only one year. So actually, because I, I was kind of interested in, like, yo, who is this guy? We never heard of him. They say that he was a great prospect coming out of the of college. Um, actually, no, you're right. He does only play one year in Chicago. Right, sorry. I, he also played for Charlotte in their CHH, not CHI. Yeah, yeah. So he does play in Charlotte. Um, he played just that one year in Chicago the last season. Um, and, you know, when they said he was a great player in college, he only averaged like 13 points a game in college. And then, so I guess, you know, he was he was maybe a bit talented. Um, but, I mean, his highest career average was 13 points a game in his third season. So not really known to be a star or anyone that could be relied upon. But MJ took it upon himself to literally bully the crap out of this guy. Yeah, try to push his and buttons, try to get him to fight him. To, he's, MJ said, I try to get him to fight me, but he's just too damn nice. But... You know, the way MJ did it, I don't really like, but I like the underlying meaning of what he's doing, right? You know, he's trying to toughen up his his teammate so that, you know, you know when the playoff pressures come, you know, if you can't handle it, they, they, they say in, in the documentary, if you can't handle the pressure from MJ, then you won't be able to handle the pressure from the playoffs. The playoffs. That's what MJ thought. And right. he And so MJ took it upon himself, obviously, to put pressure on his teammates every day so that they're used to it. Right, and like just like for an exam, how do you study? You study the same way you're gonna take the exam. So you used to you used to it, and it's second nature to you. That's what MJ wanted wanted to do for all, for all of his teammates too. Kind of shitty the way he did it, hundred percent. But you know, Scott Burrell, I was surprised he even in the, in the footage in the tapes, like he was a man about it, right? Like he took it like he, <laughs> he was he joking would, the whole time. He, yeah, he would egg Jordan on too. Like, no, I want to guard you. You know, he, he would just keep talking back and firing back on Michael, which is like. Nice to see that Scott Burrell could handle it, but the way MJ went about it was kind of too much. Oh, 100%. Oh, and I think, you know, there was a whole, like, two, three-minute span where it was between guys like Steve Kerr, Will Purdue, BJ, uh, even a little bit of Horace, too. I can't remember. There was somebody else in there where they were like, he was an asshole. He was, you know, rude. He crossed the line many, many a times. But at the end of the day, when you really look at hey. it, he just wanted to bring out the best in us so we could all win together, and he was a heck of a teammate. And guess uh, what? And they, the one, they won. Yeah, and 100%. And, and I th- who was it that said that? It was like, uh, I think that was Bennington. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, look what he did, and guess what? It worked. It, it worked. got us all to that point, got us over the hump, made us all champions. And, uh, and the most profound thing, I think, that he said the entire episode, Michael, he said uh, – you can ask anybody that I've ever played with. They'll oh, never tell that. you that I've asked them to do something that I didn't do. Yeah. I, as I the leader, that. I will never ask you something that I haven't done myself. I love that. And I think, and the truth in that makes, it sort of makes this all okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, exactly. Exactly. It's sort of like, it's the justifier. It's like, okay, you know what? Yeah, you're crapping on me, but everything that you're telling me to do, you do at an extremely high level. I think yeah. what Michael needed to realize back then was that not everybody can get to your level. Like, I mean, it I takes a certain level. 
It, but I mean, back then he said it. He's like, I wanted to push everybody to compete the same way that I competed, and and you know, to do the same things that I was not maybe not do on the court, but not just like do, the same yeah. work ethic uh, yeah. and all that stuff. And it's like that is such a high level, and it's really hard for every single person. But the fact that he was pushing people, and 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 wanted me to quote her on this, she's like, all he <laughs> wanted to be was a part of the boys. No, he so, didn't. I mean, I mean, the way he treated people, I don't know if it might be part of the boys. I think honestly, I think I plugged that in at the very at a very wrong time. I think she was more so talking about when he was kicking it with his baseball teammates. With the baseball teammates, yeah. yeah but I just wa- I just wanted her to to be quoted on the podcast. So uh, so yeah, man. Like uh, very very odd ending of the episode, but it was. I like and that. what I found that, the that oddest. Was, that was good. Well, it was a great ending. Don't get me wrong, but I, what I found the oddest was that he didn't choke up when he was talking about his father, but he cried talking about his competitiveness. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with that one. He 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 didn't choke up, but you could see the the pain in his, in his face. But yeah, he choked up when he talked about his playing and how he approached the game, and that's how you know his obsession with like and how much he was passionate about the game. Don't ride with me. That's it. It's easy. Yeah, and, and honestly, like that's not even maybe about the game. That's just about his his you know his comparative drive in general, right? And that's just how he approached it every single day and. You know, that, that that quote that he says, that where he says, you know, ask my teammates everything I asked them to do, I did I did it too. And yeah. I never would ask somebody to do something that I didn't do. And it's true, like, and that is probably his best form of leadership was that he always did everything that he preached. And he was the first yeah. one in the gym, he was the last one out, would always, you know, in practice, you, they see, you see them running suicides and he's the first one. He's there leading everybody. So, like, yeah. his leader, he did have a lot of great leadership qualities. It just he was just so intense about winning and being competitive that yeah he just tried to push everybody as much as he could and obviously he would push them to you know he would just break boundaries when he would try to push them for sure and uh, just before we end I want to read uh, the direct quote from the ending of the episode so he goes mm-hmm. uh, they might uh, you ask all my teammates the one thing about Michael Jordan he was never he never asked me to do something he didn't f and do. They might say he wasn't really a nice guy, he was a tyrant, but that's you because you never want anything. Well, I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. So at this point is when he starts to uh, become a little bit emotional. Yeah. And he goes, I don't have to do this, but I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's yeah. how I play the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. And that's when Love he started that. to cry. That's great. So great ending, uh, and I think that there's nothing that we can say or not the amount of times that we can talk about it that can really capture his competitive spirit and and how that catapulted him into the status of being the greatest basketball player or player of any team sport for that matter of all time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but definitely, man, like I- I'm sad that it's coming to an end. I'm sad that there's one more We're weekend left of this. Yeah, uh, we still got episode eight to cover for this week, but I'm sad that it's coming to an end for sure. I mean, I mean, you 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 bought the the book, The Jordan Rules. Oh man, I'm all right. over that. Shout you out done? to Sam Smith. I'm all over it? that. Huh? Yeah, you're, you're yeah still I finished it? a couple chapters. Yeah, I've gone through like 50, 60 pages, but it's hard. It's hard reading it off your phone, man. I really want like <laughs> an actual copy, but I listened to a Sam Smith interview. They stopped publishing that book years ago. Damn, really? Yeah, so I need just need to get myself an iPad or something. But I, I just, I, I need to figure out a better way to than just to read it off my phone. Yeah, 
Yeah, maybe I'll put it up on my laptop. But anyways, if anybody wants it, guys, Jordan Rules by Sam Smith. It's uh, $9 on Amazon. And you can Huge. read it through your Kindle app. So it's what, pretty what dope. It's a great read. Sorry? What else are people doing during quarantine? Read it. Yeah, it. pull it up, read it. And it's it's like it's a lot of insider stuff. It's not dry content at all. It's the And it splits it up. Like the chapters are spring 1990, summer 1990. So like it takes you through the pre three peat phase and and like pickups and summer nope. moves and contract talks and all that stuff so it's really interesting stuff and it's very detailed and i'm very mm-hmm. glad sam smith is a snitch he's the snitch that we all need <laughs> he's the snitch that we deserve he looks like it too in the, in the, in the oh, he looks like a rat and the fact that he oh, sat yeah. there saying this is that they can't believe they threw these shots at him but anyways Cheap shots at him <laughs> but anyways that's uh that's yeah. it for episode seven ladies and gentlemen we'll be back this week with episode eight uh, mm-hmm. for your head tops and if you have any questions hit up our ig baby